You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Leadership and team communication is essential to the success of every dental practice. But now we're in a new era and we need to adapt quickly and efficiently. So leadership and team communication needs to rise to a whole new level. To address this is our guest, Dr. Scott Benjamin, an internationally recognized expert, lecturer, and trainer on dental lasers and advanced dental technologies, and is in private practice in rural upstate New York. Dr. Benjamin has faculty appointments at several universities and is the chairman of the ADA Standards Committee Working Group on Dental Lasers and is a past president of the Academy of Laser Dentistry. Before we get started, I would like to thank Midmark for sponsoring this podcast Midmark is a great company. I know many of the folks over there, and I can tell you they are great people to work with and have a stellar reputation. Midmark designs solutions for dentists around the world that result in better care by harmonizing the clinical space, technology, and workflows, integrating ergonomic support, and maintaining the principles of safety for patients and staff are always at the center of design. So if you're looking for a single-source leader for planning, equipping, and developing better utilization of operatory, imaging, instrument processing, dental cabinetry, and mechanical room solutions, I encourage you to go online and visit midmark.com dental. You'll be happy you did. And now let's welcome our podcast guest, Dr. Scott Benjamin. Scott, thanks for joining us on Dental Talk. Thank you, Phil. It's always a pleasure being with you and having the opportunity to share my experiences with my fellow colleagues out there. And we appreciate that very much. So generally speaking in life, and and we all know this, when things are going smoothly, our weak points are not that obvious. But in rough times like these, they quickly rise to the surface and potentially for dental practice can lead to all sorts of problems. So can you talk specifically about leadership and team communication and how COVID-19 has changed the playing field here? As I oftentimes say that the two most valuable assets we have in our practices are the knowledge that we have as our individual clinician, but also the knowledge of our staff. That is more important than all the other advanced technologies that we have. And the COVID virus is process that has really brought that to light. A very famous quote from the Wizard of Oz when the scarecrow asked for a brain, the, the wizard's response was, you don't want a brain, you want knowledge. A baby is born with a brain but has no knowledge. The only thing that provides knowledge is experience. And the longer you're around, the more experience you're sure to get and your knowledge is going to go with it. Unfortunately, we as a, as a society have, do not have a lot of experience dealing with this pandemic. And so getting our staff on board, having them intimately involved in the decisions that we make so that they have ownership is an extremely important concept. The transparency of what we're doing that these decisions that are being made are not being made in a vacuum. They're not being made because this is what I think as the team leader need to be done. But this is the, the, the changes that need to be made looking at the science and looking about their concerns that they have. We need to understand that this stress is not only on us and the office, but is very significant to our staff on their family, their situations of what they're balancing at home now are significantly different. Their childcare scenarios have changed because of the at-home homeschooling issues. Their potential financial concerns. We reinforced to our staff that this was not going to have an effect on them financially from our practice at all. But again, depending on what their spouse's situation is, it may have an impact that way. 
So having the staff understand and the entire dental team understand that you are part of the family of the practice. And we as a as a family are going to do whatever we can to support you is extremely important and reassuring. Um, unfortunately, there was not a lot of pre-planning that could have been done before this epidemic. But we need to take that time now to do some pre-planning. If this spike continues, what does it mean? How are we going to manage it? What are the changes that we're going to make? Um, one of the scenarios is communicating. Now, today, almost everybody knows how to use Zoom appropriately or some similar platform. But having them understand of how to use that in an etiquette way that doesn't disrupt their life is extremely important. When we're trying, I, we routinely, while we were closed, we met with, I met with my, my entire dental team every couple of days and with the idea of hearing where they are socially, where they were emotionally, where they were on their concerns and how are we going to move the practice forward in the, in the right manner. You mentioned Zoom. It was a little unclear that you said Zoom because you said it quickly. So just to let our audience know, when you say you met with your staff, you met them using the uh, platform yeah. Zoom, which most people know what that is. Most people use it uh, regularly to do their thing with their family and meetings and everything else. So I just want to make that clear. Having any a form of doing virtual meetings with your staff has probably never been more important, or potentially even virtual meetings with your patients, um, with the idea of being able to communicate in a safe and effective manner, to know that information will be appropriately sh shared as it becomes available. And having the, the staff have the, the security, if you've applied or received any of the, the government stimulus packages, the Paytech Protection Program, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, if you are involved or taking advantage of any of these programs, hear that with your staff to give them the peace of mind that just because there is not revenue coming in, that their salaries and their payroll is being protected keeping them scientifically informed of, of what's going on is extremely important. Directing them to appropriate webinars, forwarding them appropriate scientific literature, um, directors from the American Dental Association, directors from the, the, the State the Department of Health, the CDC. So they're reading these things themselves so they can see the information firsthand rather than being translated from what they heard from a friend and all the rumors that are being that are being circulated out there, making sure that the information that you're providing to them is accurate, it's up to date, and it's current. As we know, we're getting directives from the American Dental Association that are changing frequently, from the CDC changing frequently. And the idea is how are we addressing these directives and requirements that are doing that? Putting together again with the idea that we're required to have a respiratory protection plan if we're having our patients wear any sort of respirator, why it is important for them to fill out the health history so that they're going to be assessed by a healthcare provider to make sure that the processes that they're going to be doing in the office is safe. Having them be involved with patient communication is extremely critical because, again, their relationship and their buy-in to the changes we have to make are very, very, very important. What are we doing as far as safety? What are we encouraging the staff that as soon as they get home from a from their day at work, that they change their 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 clothes, 
that they make sure they're not taking anything from the office home with them that should not be in their house with them. Having them understand the value of doing a health home assessment, that before they come into the office in the morning, to take their temperature, to think about their health, and if they feel that it may not be appropriate to come, to stay at home, that their payroll will be protected. And again, having them involved as part of what procedures should we be postponing? What patients do they know that may we may need to reach out to to give them um, emotional or even healthcare support is an extremely important issue. The more valuable that your staff feels that they are, the better they will be emotionally and the better they will be for the practice and your and our patients. So let me ask you this, Dr. Benjamin. So how did you communicate to your staff, to those that were so concerned about their safety? So, you know, you have a hygienist who's on this call with you on Zoom, and he or she says, I'm very scared. You know, I work with ultrasonic instruments all day long. You know, maybe I'll do some hand instruments now, but still, I'm, I'm right up there, right where the aerosol is. Um, right near the patient's mouth, and I, I, I'm just terrified. What do you say to that employee, knowing what you know? You know, what you can't, you can't make something up. You got to be straight up with these employees that there is a higher risk here. Going back to work, there is. How do you deal with that? Well, the first and the foremost that you want to do is always have them understand that their personal safety is of your primary concern. I never want to have an employee in a situation that they feel that they're at a risk that could be mitigated better in some other way. Going back to the aerosols that are being created with the high-speed hand pieces, which would expose both myself and my dental assistant. Um, having my uh, hygienist um, using the ultrasonic scalers that create a huge amount of aerosol. And being able to say, you know, at this time, it's probably best if we don't do this, which means that your appointment times are going to take slightly longer, which means we need to do some adjustments to the scheduling, being able to, to make sure that we make the rooms as safe as possible for you and listening to their concerns and addressing them appropriately. If they have unfounded scientific concerns, being able to give them the information and how it can be addressed scientifically, and what the true concern is versus the perceived concern. Providing dental care is, is always a risk to both the clinicians and the entire team. It's something that we have accepted when we went into the profession in the first place. Now, telling them that, hey, don't worry about it is not the right answer. What do you feel would be the appropriate way to address it? And ask them for their input on what they feel they should be doing and how they would be safest. And my staff actually asked me those questions. And at the present time, due to the directives from the American Dental Association, my hygienists are not using the ultrasonic scalers. They are not using, they're not polishing teeth except in very rare, rare situations. And again, it's one of the discussions that is had with both myself and the patient and the hygienist at the time of that procedure is this something that is really necessary with the idea of I'm interested in providing quality health care and I'm looking at overall health for the patient, not just dental health. And we have to make sure that we're always very cognizant of that, of that concern with the idea that at this time we feel it's not in your best interest as a, as a patient to have this being done and here are the reasons why. Mm -hmm. And, and, and again, 
my pushback from my dental assistants and my and my hygienist is minimal. One of my hygienists has a daughter who is a nurse in the hospital that is exposed to the this on a regular basis, and her husband is actually an EMT. And so that their knowledge and their concerns at home are as high as they are in the office. And being able to address those and being able to use the input that we're getting from their side to help guide our policies puts everybody at the team at rest also. People, their concerns should never, ever be pushed aside. They need to be appropriately addressed. And here's what we can do to mitigate this. If you do not feel comfortable doing something, don't do it. Because if you're uncomfortable, the patient you're treating is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's it's all and that concern is extremely, extremely important. Yeah. One of the things we did in particular is we divided up the task during the time we were we were shut down of hygienists, I want you to do I'll go out and do the research on this yourselves, encouraging them to come back with their recommendations of what they should do, which when they're reading quality scientific literature rather than listening to some of the, unfortunately, the bad rumors that are out there, put them at rest. And therefore, they're reading it firsthand themselves and understanding it firsthand themselves. If we're not going to be using um, our ultrasonics, do we want to possibly administer more locally delivered, um, administered antibiotics like Arrestin? Do we want to be possibly using um, the a laser in the pocket in such a way to decrease the bacteria and not creating a plume at all? And these are discussions that we have. And every time we treat a patient, it has to be on case by case, what's in the best interest of the patient, and also what is in the best interest of the team member that is providing the service. And again, that becomes very important. As I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, encouraging our staff members to reach out to the local community, to again, the other professionals such as hairstylists and small businesses that do not have the scientific research available to them that we have to us, being willing to share these things with them so that they know that and the community knows that we are doing everything that we can to be safe. It gives them a leadership role in the community that empowers them to take more pride in what they're doing on a daily basis. And that's the whole idea is if we can instill pride in our staff on what we are doing, we can really take things to a whole new level. So um, I look at every challenge that we are facing today more as a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. How do we ha take this as an opportunity to basically elevate the, the, the quality of our, our team, elevate the quality of our care, and, and create a better healthcare environment for the community as a whole? And right. to me, that is that is the emphasis of what we as healthcare professionals, we're not just dentists, we're not just hygienists. We are healthcare providers that are providing a quality of life for our patients. And we need to make everybody proud of the fact that that's what we are doing and moving in the appropriate direction that way. That is extremely, extremely critical. And again, as the staff feels the pride and they have the scientific knowledge that when they express their opinions in public, that they are giving factual information versus regurgitating rumors that they've heard from somebody else. 
How often do you have your team communication meetings now that we're back to work, uh, keeping your staff updated on, on the new mm-hmm. developments in the CDC? Um, anything that comes out new from the, the ADA, the CDC, the Department of Health, we are immediately disseminating that through the staff in a variety of different ways, whether it's in our morning huddle, whether it's in, our, which is a little bit different now that we are all spaced out throughout the room rather than being in close contact, which is interesting by itself. Um, whether it's, um, you know, through emails of, hey, here's something that just came out. I want all of you to, to see this immediately. And so as the information becomes available, when they know it's going to be appropriately shared with them, they have more confidence that that what they're doing is the right thing. And to me, that is extremely, extremely critical. Rather than I know this and I'm going to, well, this is something that is may they may look at as negative. If they know that's going to be shared with them, they have more confidence that there's nothing being hidden away from them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. going back to the potential dangers of the ultrasonics and the, the potential dangers of the high speed, by sharing that with them, they are now more comfortable that if something comes out that is going to be detrimental, that they are going to be made aware of it. Um, again, I happen to be, a, I don't want to call myself a research junkie, but I'm a person that literally has spent, I was busier while we were shut down than I was routinely treating patients. Basically, <laughs> Basically, trying to harvest as much knowledge as I could from all my resources, working with the universities I'm on faculty with of how do we put safety programs together? How do we communicate to our staff properly? How do we communicate to our patients properly? Patient communication, as we discussed in in one of the previous podcasts, is extremely critical. Body language today is being covered up by all all the PPE that we're wearing. And the patients themselves, because we're wearing all this PPE, our offices are a little bit colder. Our patients are coming in, even though it's the summertime here in in upstate New York, dressed like it's the middle of winter, knowing that the office is going to be cooler than normal to be able to accommodate, you know, what we're doing to protect them. Mm -hmm. And so, and again, all of these things become very, very critical. And the idea is when they have the confidence that you're going to share the good news as well as the bad news with them. They are it, your acceptance and the fear factor goes away tremendously. Before the epidemic occurred, when it was just starting to rear its ugly head, we had a staff meeting addressing that. And so before this became national prominence or we were shut down, we were into a situation, we were already aware of the concerns and the potential changes that we were going to need to be making and encourage them to start doing their due diligence to find out what they could do to make it better. How do we have the appropriate PPE? One of the problems we ran into is we took a lot of our PPE and dispersed it to the local healthcare places that were having shortages. And then we had a shortage of how to get it back into our office when we were getting ready to reopen because of the ship. But again, having them know that, hey, we're taking our supplies and donating it to a facility that needs it today is a way to have them demonstrate and understand that we're willing to do this to support our community. What's the supply chain situation right now with PPE to the dental office? It's significantly improved. Um, Again, I've been working, and again, I had many of the manufacturers and the dealers, because of my role in the profession, had reached out to me for advice on how to manage this type of idea and how to do it. Most of the dental suppliers now are being smart enough 
to ration out the the materials rather than having the hoarding that, that went on. The intriguing thing when this occurred, I was at my home in Colorado, um, which is in the middle of the ski resorts. And when all the ski resorts shut down two days after I got there, the stores were flooded with all of the stuff that we did that wasn't anywhere else in the world because they were expecting 30,000, 40,000 people a day to be at the ski resorts, mm, and they had wow. zero. Wow. You know, so the toilet paper shortage that everybody's made jokes about didn't exist in that area <laughs> because they were already, you know, they were prepared for it. We don't want to be hoarding supplies. We want to be encouraging, and again, that the, the mask and the, and the stuff is being used where it is most needed. And hopefully we've learned our lesson as a society and have now going to have a supply chain that is going to enable this to, to, um, to continue things in a normal pattern. Are you using N95 respirators for your standard practice of care in your office? I, in my office, we're using class three surgical mask and face mask. Now, we've always used the OptiOp um, face shields for the last 10, 15, 20 years since they first came on the market as a way to protect our staff and everything else as we're doing things. So, again, this was nothing new to us, the class three surgical mask that we're now changing after every single patient. So we're not allowing any sort of uh, biofilm or stuff to build up on it and to do it that way. Mm -hmm. We don't have to worry about, again, the pressure wounds that are being created by an N95. We have N95 masks if we feel it's necessary. My staff has gone through the respiratory, put together the respiratory protection plan. We have gone through the risk assessment for each one of the employees and having them understand that, hey, to wear a respirator, you have to complete this healthcare that will be reviewed by a professional, by a healthcare professional, which is required by law. And you have to be fit tested to make sure that it is actually effective is something that having them understand that, okay, if we're going to go through this route, this is what we need to do. In my personal opinion, from everything I've read, wearing a class three surgical mask that has not only got the 99% filtration protection, but also the moisture protection on it, and changing that after every single patient is the healthiest thing for myself and my patients. Mm -hmm. Because again, what do we do, and presently this has not happened to, to myself, one of the universities that I'm on faculty of did have a staff member that did come down with a COVID virus. And again, with the idea is if this occurs in our practice, what are we going to do? Having our staff aware of this, hopefully never needing to use it, is extremely important. And one of the policies I've always had in my practice from day number one is plan execute and adjust and then knowing that no matter what we do the first time we go through the process there are going to be adjustments that need to be made and so that's understood right up front in our processes we go back and i and i teach this in my courses that when you're doing anything and especially technology and, and again ppe has become a technology now in our practices go back to the, the elementary school with a who what why where when and how Who's going to do it? Why are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And address all those and have that plan of attack in place. How are we going to fog the rooms? Who's going to do it? When is it going to be done? And having the staff help develop the plan if they are not the primary developers of the plan. And that's the whole idea by having your staff involved appropriately, formulating your policies and your protocols 
means that the way of the follow through is going to be there. We're not going to be fighting or why are we doing this stupid process here and trying to justify it to them when they're the ones that have helped develop the process. What do you see as a, as a possibility, a scenario? I'm going to join a consolidate my practice with another practice or join a DSO. Any ideas on that? Well, unfortunately with government regulations that have gone on both pre COVID and COVID, um, the administrative part of managing a practice today is becoming very complex. And people that are in their 60s and even some clinicians that are in their late 50s and some that are still practicing in their 70s are looking at this as this is maybe the appropriate time to get out. And I think we're going to see a fair number of people that have been practicing for, you know, for 35, 40 years saying, well, you know, this may be the time to leave. Um, I'm a very firm believer that the small family practice is the best way to deliver care to a patient, being able to have the continuity of care, the understanding. And that's one of the reasons that my practice has survived through the COVID virus very well, because of the relationship that we have with our patients of the continuity of care, of understanding it. Will we possibly see offices closing? The ADA initially felt that there would be about a 10% loss of private practitioners related to this. Um, and we're not sure where that is heading in one direction or the other. And, uh, and again, it's one of the people that I feel the sorriest for are the new graduates that are coming out of dental school because they're entering the, the profession at, at a time when it is the most volatile that it's ever been. And nobody knows what we're doing next week or what they're going to be required to do next week as they're just trying to learn how to how to develop um, their practices at this time, whether they're as an associate or part of a DSO or uh, joining, um, you know, a small office. And so, again, they're the ones that that I really think are going to have the greatest problem in the near future, especially with a huge debt load that many of them have. Mm -hmm. How does they how do they service that appropriately? And that was one of the things the ADA has been looking back. They've been the slowest people that have been brought back to work have been the associate dentist, that the, that the, that the owner dentist and the staff were being brought back before the, before the associate dentist was. And I think a lot of it was because, but even today, the ADA is reporting the majority of them are now back at practice. But a lot of it was, what are we going to be doing? How is it going to change? Fortunately, in my practice, we haven't seen a significant change because most of the things that we needed to implement, we had already had in place. The things that we had to add, were in, we enhanced our air filtration, as we discussed in the previous podcast, and some patient flow issues and scheduling issues. But again, as far as the message to our patients, it has always been that their benefit is our primary concern. To my staff member, it's always been their health is the primary concern. Going forward, though, do you think based on this uh, pandemic, are we going to see more dentists join DSOs, dental service organizations, like the big ones like Aspen and Heartland? We very, we very well may see that. And the thing that's going to be very intriguing is we may see more dentists having the desire to, to pass off the burden of administration to a DSO environment. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I think we're going to see more patients going back to the to the concept that they want continuity of care. They want the security of being able to see the same faces 
that was one of the things that we've experienced um, as we've reopened. The patients coming back and the reassurance that they had in coming back to our office. I think, you know, with the idea that it was very reassuring to them of what the changes that we had made, even though they may have not been very significant, but the fact that the reassurance that the continuity of care of understanding that they are a human being and their health is our primary concern. In an ideal world, what you're doing over there in New York, you have a community of, what, 60,000 people? Something like <laughs> um, that. How about I practice in a town of less than 1,000? Oh, is that right? Um, okay. Yeah, I draw so. people for, I have from as far as four and 500 miles away. Right. Um, again, I, I have one of the most unusual practices in the world, but a lot of it has to do is I've had a fair amount of patients who have grown up, and this is an area that people either do one of two things. They grow up and leave or they retire or they retire too. And the people that have grown up and left and then had a dental experience in another office and asked if they can come back, which I don't recommend. I said, you know, I'm more than glad to do your routine preventive care. However, you need to establish a relationship with the practice. If you have an emergency and you're 100 miles, 200 miles, 300 miles away, um, is that going to be in your best interest than now when you're in a crisis situation to actually see a clinician for the first time? Yeah, but I mean, I, I remember when I was, you know, a younger, in my younger days, you would be able to walk through the neighborhood and see shingles, not not only dental shingles, uh, dentist shingles, but also MDs. You know, you'd have that solo practitioner, family doctor. Uh, when I used to get my checkup before I went to camp, I would go to... The Mark, the Marcus Welby scenario. Yeah. Now, you don't see that anymore. It's very hard to find an MD sitting on the corner somewhere with a shingle hanging out the door. So, and, and you know, dentistry is always behind medical, the medical world. Um, as you know, you've been dealing yeah. with the ADA. You, you know that the, the, the uh, American Medical Association is always something that kind of the American Dental Association looks to for some, to some extent to see the trends. But um, don't you see that happening here? I mean, don't you think that this COVID-19 pandemic will accelerate the trend of moving away from solo practitioners? Well, I think government regulations are, are tend to be pushing things in that direction without the pandemic. The pandemic is probably, in my opinion, almost going to have a neutral effect because I have, a, and this is a personal opinion, that I believe that patients are going to be more driven to the content continuity of care relationship. Because that's the number one complaint that I hear. Now, as a profession, we're being driven in the other direction. So there's a dichotomy there of what the patients are going to be expecting and what the profession is going to be doing may be in completely opposite directions. Because mm -hmm. I agree that we, that as we're seeing the, the consolidation, the complexity of running a, the businesses today, and it's, it's sad to look at healthcare as a business. But that is what it's unfortunately becoming. And the idea is and the patients still want the profession. And so I think that a person who wants to practice in, a, um, in that environment has the opportunity if they, are, if they are truly caring about the patients and they can get the, the message out. Now, again, I'm very fortunate. I'm in a small town that I grew up in. Um, I'm in a situation where 
where there is that trust and there's an implied trust that comes into with that family clinician that you don't get when, when yeah, you're sure. dealing without a doubt. And, and today what are patients looking for more than anything else due to the pandemic is trust. Before we continue, I'd like to once again, thank Midmark for sponsoring this podcast. There are costs involved in creating these podcasts, and if it were not for our sponsors, these podcasts would not be possible. Midmark is a great company, and if you're looking for a single-source leader for planning, equipping, and developing better utilization of operatory, imaging, instrument processing, dental cabinetry, and mechanical room solutions, I encourage you to go online and visit midmark.com dental. Trend in dentistry is definitely going toward the, the, the larger group practices, the DSO model. Right. And, you, just, uh, you just need to clone yourself, Dr. Benjamin. You need to clone yourself and uh, work for another 100 years and take care of all these uh, patients. That, uh, I plan on working for many, may, I've worked for many decades and I plan on working for many more. There you go. Um, because, because I enjoy what I'm doing. And I want to encourage, you know, and this is the idea is I want to encourage clinicians to look at the type of, of, of relationship they want to build with their staff, where they want to build with their their patients, and they want to build with their family and get into an environment that is going to give them what they want all the way around. That is that is very important. Rural America is in desperate need for for healthcare providers as a whole. Mm-hmm. Having what I have is something that is that is very obtainable because again the, of the, the environment of, the, as you said, going down the street and seeing the, the, the family shingles. And, and that is the whole idea. I have never done any advertising. I never plan on doing any advertising because the best advertising is the patient's confidence in what you're doing. Right. Yeah. You need to have a dentist come up and uh, work in your neighborhood to help you out over there. I desperately need to have somebody come join my practice. Yeah, there you go. So maybe one of our listeners, one of our listeners, will look you up. It's Scott Benjamin, B E N J J A M I N. Look him up. He's in. Uh, what's the name of the town? Sydney, New York. Sydney, New York. It's, I'm right square in the northwest part of the of the Catskill Mountains, almost dead center in the state of New York. Right. Three hours from everywhere, close to nothing. So, <laughs> All right. Well, listen. We've enjoyed your uh, insight on on the three podcasts that you've done. Again. Uh, this was a real delight to have you on our show, and uh, it's always great to talk to you. Dr. Benjamin has done some previous podcasts a year and a half ago, uh, end of 2018 on lasers, which are still very relevant. Obviously, uh, things have changed techno- technologically on lasers, but th- it's a fantastic overview on lasers, using them in your office, understanding what your expectations should be based on your clinical procedure. How do you choose a laser? Very, very good stuff. Look up Benjamin on VivaLearning.com. Do a search for Benjamin. Or you can go to Spotify, do a search for Dental Talk, D-E-N-T-A-L, Talk, one word, and you'll see our podcast show. We're getting thousands and thousands of listens per per, per week on uh, Dental Talk. We're very happy about the uh, the viewership that we're getting on this program, and we thank you for that. Thanks again, Dr. Benjamin, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Phil, it's always a pleasure, and, and to my fellow colleagues, anything I can do to help you practice safe and effective dentistry, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to me.